Hey guys, it's Megan. Before we launch into season two, I just want to take a moment to reflect back on season one. In October of 2019, I launched the Six Feet Above podcast. The very first episode is called the Solo Cast, which means it's just me and my story. I remember that day it was released. I was anxious, excited, nervous, not because I was worried about being judged or ashamed of my story, but I was fearful that the world may not be ready to talk about mental health and illness in such an open forum. I was wrong. I was so wrong. The first season proved that not only are we ready to talk about these topics, but that the world needs it now more than ever. And I just cannot thank you enough for listening, for sharing, for being so supportive, whether we're friends or strangers. I just want to say thank you for all the support and encouragement from season one. It's because of you that I'm doing season two. Please know that each episode can stand on its own and you don't have to listen in chronological order. So feel free to jump into season two or go back and listen to episodes from season one at your convenience. Without further ado, welcome to the Six Feet Above podcast. It got to the point where I remember being in bed. It was a weekend and it was so, it was like pitch dark in my room and I don't know how it got to this point, but I told my husband, I was like, I don't want to be here anymore. Mm. And he's like, what do you mean? And I was like, I just feel like you would be better off without me. And like, and these babies would be better off without me. And, um, and I'm a therapist at this point. Okay. And I'm not knowing. So now you feel even worse about it. Yeah. I'm like, how come I can't control this? What's going on with me? And, um, and that was like, I think, you know, my breaking point. I'm Megan Armstrong. Welcome to Life Six Feet Above. Six Feet Above was created when I started to share my story of spending 16 years wanting to be six feet under to now living a life full and happy six feet above. The more that I started to talk about my journey, my struggles, and my past, the more I realized people were genuinely interested and not judgmental at all, which is what I'd feared for so long. In fact, Other people wanted to talk about their story as well, and for some reason they trusted me to do so. So the Six Feet Above podcast is my way of helping to share other people's stories, finding out what works for them to create a life of happiness. Before we start this episode, I want to let you know it has some explicit language and some very serious subject matter. It may be triggering or sensitive to certain people. Please listen with discretion. This is Kristen's story. I am sitting across from Kristen Mize, who actually we did not meet face to face until five minutes ago. Yes. And I'm so excited to finally meet you because for several reasons, A, because I love your story and B, because you are one of the first complete strangers that actually reached out and supported me and was like. I love what you're doing. Uh-huh. I'm here for it. If you ever need someone from an actual clinical therapist side, yeah. please let me know. And you were just so intriguing from that moment that I'm like, I feel like at some point I need to meet this woman and hear Aww. her story. 
<laughs> so Kristen Mize is a, um, well, let me, let me have you introduce yourself. Okay. Let's do it. We're going to do it differently okay. this season. Well, first of all, yes, I am a complete stranger and I do tend to reach out to people on the internet. Um, <laughs> not really, actually. I'm not creepy. But no, everything that you stand for with this podcast is everything that I promote in my practice and even as a human in, like individually yeah. so I love it yeah. um thank you so anyhow keep doing what you're doing thank you um, I will try I am Kristen Mize I am a licensed clinical ther uh, social worker basically I'm a therapist a counselor um I got my master's in social work and then you become licensed to you know hang your own slate so to speak got it um so um but I'm beyond that I'm a mom I'm a wife I married my high school sweetheart um We've been together uh, 23 years wow. this year. Yeah. Um, and we have three boys. Crazy. Very. Um, Riley, who's 10, uh -huh. and he's in fourth grade. And then Matthew and Grayson are twins. They're in, they're eight and they're in second grade. Oh my gosh. Yeah. What is twin life like? Oh my God. From the outside. I mean, from the outside, it's constant. It's constant. Like they're either best friends or they are screaming at each other. Are they identical? Or no, fraternal? they're fraternal. Okay. They okay. could not be more different, but yet they're very similar in a lot of ways, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Somebody's always either crying or yelling. <laughs> um me included I right. don't know um and but it's really it's really neat they're very sweet with each other um I have one who um is more shy and anxious yeah. and I have another one who is very protective of him not in a way that he takes care of him because I know that can be a twin yeah. thing um I try and make sure not to push that onto Matthew right um but it's it's crazy I mean I'm so blessed I'm so fortunate and I'm so exhausted. Well, I was going to say, what is it like with four boys? It's gross. <laughs> okay. I just had the, um, we, we finally broke down a couple years ago and got a cleaning lady, like every once, just once a month. She came Friday and there's already, my bathroom is already disgusting. Ugh. Not, well, not mine, but yeah. By today she came Friday. Oh it's Monday. Gosh. Yeah. My dad is, um, he's one of five boys. Oh my God. So there were five boys <laughs> and then their sixth child was finally a girl. Oh my God. But it's like the girl was the princess growing up. Yes. So that's not always better either. So, right. You know, it's just, it is what it is. Oh my God. But your grandparents made it out. Okay. I mean, they did. Yeah. Yeah. They're my heroes. Clearly. <laughs> and funny story is, this is what we have in common. Uh -huh. Um, all five of my uncles, including my dad. So all five boys, played hockey growing up that's right and then they put themselves through school and then yeah. they all coached high school hockey at some point so cool and then the girl the youngest uh -huh. was a, an ice skater <gasps> nice yeah so it runs, i'm sure runs in the that's a lot of rink time that's a lot of early morning wake-ups it's a lot <laughs> yes my, gr my grandmother's still alive my grandfather passed away a few years ago but uh -huh. my grandma it's funny because um she she's very uh she's not doing well, mm. but she came to Christmas, you know, she's in a wheelchair mm -hmm. full time and she can't stand up and all that good stuff. We actually just moved her into like our final nursing home. Mm -hmm. But anyway, she came to Christmas and it's the joy on her face when my dad mm. tells stories about the boys growing up, even yeah. though they're like the worst stories in the world, <laughs> just to see that little spark in her eyes. is really, really sweet. Oh so, my gosh. Yeah. I don't think she would change a thing. No, um, I really wouldn't. I know. I, I joke about it a lot, but in all seriousness, I mean, yeah. it's, 
it's a pure joy, like watching them. So they play hockey and lacrosse, right? No, yeah. So not hockey. We okay. had one. We tried all the okay, sports. My tried. oldest tried hockey. His hands got too cold, so <laughs> he didn't want it. We pushed. We we tried that too young. He was like four. Yeah. Um, and we live in the south, so yeah. um, but yeah, they all play lacrosse. My got husband it. played hockey growing up. Got it. That's and, okay. That yeah, and it. his yeah. brother, and um, yeah. So lots of you know hockey fandom in my house yeah so and you're from Massachusetts yes originally from Massachusetts um you know grew up there and then Greg and I moved down to Atlanta back in 07 uh-huh. we were sick of the winters <laughs> so what was it like um what was your home life growing up so growing up um I'm the oldest of three girls okay. um and Irish Catholic family mm-hmm. <laughs> um dad was very strict yeah um, both my parents worked full time. Okay. Um, which is why I'm like, I don't know how they did it. Yeah. With three, I, yeah. Three, three girls. girls. Yeah. Um, but I think life was just a little bit simpler back then. Yeah. Um, but it was, I mean, we lived in a small town mm-hmm. in Massachusetts. My dad was like on the school committee and he might as well have been the mayor. He knew everybody. Um, and I, my, I don't know. That's a that's a loaded question. What was it like growing yeah. up? I was the responsible um, goody goody. Okay, basically. Okay, yeah. And were you a tight group of sisters or? So, yes and no. Um, originally, we you know we all bickered or whatever. Yeah. Like I can vividly remember my sister Megan, who so I'm the oldest, and Megan is 22 months younger than myself. Okay. And then um, Katie is five years younger than me. Okay. So I rem- and Megan is always she's always been the bigger younger sister. So she's like you know five ten five eleven. Oh, st- weird, oh, right? Sounds very familiar. I know. And I'll never forget. Um, she was like chasing me around the house one day, um, and ended. I ended up like on the ground. She's standing over me. I was like, oh my god, she's gonna kill me. <laughs> She probably could have, but no. So we had moments like that. We probably did not become very close until, um, well, my dad was diagnosed with cancer when I was in seventh grade. And he he was working? He was working, yeah. Okay. So my dad was a parole officer, okay. so hence super strict. Yeah. Like okay. everyone could have been, you know, a child molester right. to him. Right, Um. So, or a drug dealer. Right. Um. And so he, yes, he was working full time, Um. And was diagnosed with an inoperable tumor um, in his nasopharynx, which is behind your sinuses. Yeah, I was going to say, that's like, how do you even, did he just have weird symptoms Um, in his sinuses? Yeah, he, well, he probably had it for a long time, but when he, he woke up one day and had double vision. Oh. Yeah. And so um, went to, I think his ENT, there's an ENT that he saw and he looked mm-hmm. right up his nose and he saw it. And, but this is after I think years of having headaches Okay. previously that they never knew right. what it was. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sinuses or allergies or, you yeah. know, seasonal um, stuff. Mm-hmm, <laughs> Northeast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Seriously. Um, so. I definitely think that's when I kind of took on, I'll never forget, they told, they told us um, we were on summer vacation. I was going into seventh grade. and um, so You're like 12? 12. 13? I was yeah. 12. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, and it was 1992. And um, that's when I realized like, okay, I have to step up. Mm. And um, 
and Did take, they say that or you just expected no, that? No, I, I think, no, not at all. Um, it was me. Okay. Um, I think, you know, knowing this through ob- obviously what I study with, yeah. you know, you know, the psychology behind like birth order and right. roles and families, that I definitely get more of that now, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, it can be temperament, you know, mm-hmm. like just my personality mm-hmm. was to um, be the helper, the fixer. Right, right. And so I'll never forget. I think that's when I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I can, um, I should probably take care of my sisters. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, we certainly fought, you know, but, and then I'll never forget. Um, but yeah, I think that was kind of what brought us all together. Okay. In a way. So, but he lived for several years, six, right? Six years. Yeah. They gave him six months at the time. That's crazy. So it was like panic mode right. and he went through this ridiculous treatment, um, at mass general mm-hmm. and, um, where he went every single day, um, commuting into Boston. We lived like 45 minutes away, but it's like Atlanta, like right. with traffic. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so we did that, uh, or he did that and we would go with him every so often. Um, and yeah, he lived six years. That's crazy. Yeah. But it was not without struggle. <laughs> so was he able to still function and do like the day-to-day dad stuff and work and all of that? Or he, I think maybe missed one of my track meets. Jeez. Yeah. Um, work, I forget, honestly, and I should have brushed up on my memory, but I, I think he might've taken FMLA, um, or there was like back in the day you could like donate your time and okay. he worked, you know, for the state of Massachusetts. He had right. amazing coworkers. So a lot of people helped out in that way. So I'm not sure how much time he actually even took off for work, but I mean, he was the strongest human being physically wow. that I've ever known. Um, and what so. was it like to see your mom, see her husband go through that? Like, I think yeah. when someone, when a family goes through that, everyone is kind of going through their own oh, yeah. little like little chapter, but you're all going through it together. Absolutely. You know, especially like a mom of three girls. I know. I don't even know how you hear six months and your husband could be gone. Um, the funny thing is I don't think I saw my mom struggle. Really? Like she on the outside. And this is what I, you know, when we look at our moms, we look at, well, I guess when I'm working with my clients nowadays mm-hmm. and, and who are moms who feel like they're messing up their kids or right. they're like not being strong right. for the kids, like children see their moms as very strong, mm-hmm. very differently than how we see ourselves. And so, you know, she stayed in work. We had hot meals on the table at night, um, breakfast, packed lunches every day. Um, practices like I don't and we did get a lot of support like from friends of course you know there were meal trains I remember for a little bit right there was maybe um, you know neighbors were awesome they still are to this day like we're still friends with them Um, rides to practices and stuff especially in the early stages like when he was going through treatment so it definitely took a village but um, I don't think I saw my mom struggle like ever break down or I'm sure she did but she is of the type yeah it was like she had to keep going Mm -hmm. yeah and we know that that's not sustainable right (laughs) right so he passed away when you were just in college it was two weeks before I left for my freshman year of college yes yeah not it was um 
it was related to his cancer, but it was more treatment related complications from all of the scar tissue and damage that he had. And did you still decide to go to school? I did. You did. I was, I was like first, you know, in my, obviously my terrible grief, I was like, I'm not going, I'm not Mm -hmm. going. But then I realized like he knew where I was going to school. I went to St. Joe's um, in Philadelphia. Um, and he knew that and he knew that was a plan and he was excited for me. And so it was more about not wanting to leave my mom right. and my sisters. You know, my Megan was going to be a junior in high school and Katie was going to be in seventh grade. Oh. Yeah. So seventh or eighth. But either way, um, it was more about not wanting to leave them. Yeah. So did you have that feeling of guilt after you got there? Or were you able to kind of move on and... Yeah. So I... I did, but I didn't. I knew, like, again, just reminding myself that this was the plan. And this is what he knew me to be doing. And so, um, you know, and school was very important to my dad. Yeah, I bet. (laughs) Um, So I just kept reminding myself of that. And then I met the most amazing friends. Um, They're still, like, my best friends today. And so I think that combination was really what helped me get through. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's interesting. I... I didn't think of it until now, but one of my best friends still from college, um, her mom passed away like the second month we were there. Yeah. And it's one of those things like as awful as it is mm-hmm. and for watch to watch somebody, especially like new that you exactly. don't know. Stranger kind of. But it's almost like, it's like, wow, even someone who's basically a stranger cares this much about me. Mm-hmm. It just, it makes you feel like you can, you can do it. You can get yeah. through it. Yeah. And she's still one of my best friends today. And I remember like every December 7th, I'm like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, this is when Amy's yeah. mom passed away. And yeah. I'll never forget that date ever. Yeah. Yeah. Ever. Um, so you went to college, you were still dating Greg. So yes. y'all were high school sweethearts. We are. And I honestly think, I, I mean, as weird as this may sound, again, it's not that I stayed with Greg because, oh, my dad knew him, but like that moment we were young. Yeah. We're immature, but like that really forced us into like being grown up. He was there for me every step of the way. And I think that actually brought us a lot closer, even though we went to school apart. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So he stayed in Boston. He went to Fairfield. Oh, okay. That's right. That's right. Both Jesuit schools. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So you were doing okay in college for a while. For a little bit. (laughs) And then, and then something, something happened. Yes. Something triggered. Yeah. So let's talk, let's dive into that. Okay, well, um, (laughs) soon after, okay, so freshman year was like figuring myself out, right? Right. Like I'm six hours away from home, um, had these great friends, I had freedom that I never had, so figured that out, but had, you know, overall, you know, did well. Sophomore year... Um, I started noticing, um, oh, probably beforehand, but I saw my sister, um, Katie, the youngest, I went home and I oh, know we met, sorry, I'm talking out, out of my head, but yeah, we had met for like an event mm-hmm. at, um, there, we were dedicating like something in my dad's name or something. And we had all met as a family. Right. And I saw my sister who at the time I guess was in eighth grade. Okay. And she looked emaciated mm. and I was like, okay. Like, what's been going on at home? Yeah. You know? Um, And so she was in the throes of anorexia. And 
I said something to, to her, to her, my mom, you know, and I'm like, what, what's happening? Oh, she's just trying to get in shape for soccer. That's what your mom said. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Cause that's how Katie spun it to her as well. You right. know, I right. mean, of course. And of course, you know, my mom at the time, so she had been, she did not return to work after my ba- dad passed away. Well, she did for a little bit, then kind of took a package and left. So she was just taking her time, figuring things out. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, um, obviously processing years of like trauma and grief right. and stuff like that. Right. So anyways, show up and yeah. And at this family function, like, she wasn't eating and all that. And I was like, okay, well, this is what I think is going on. Yeah. <laughs> I'm no expert, but no expert. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, finally, but again, I got on the plane, went back to Philly and it was sort of like, well, I mean, this is pretty serious, but I didn't, you know, nobody was really hearing me on right. that. And even right. my sister Megan, I don't think was, you know, cause she was still home as well. So, um, and this is 20 years ago when, mm-hmm. I mean, this was kind of just being talked about. Well, right. Exactly. Now I feel like it's very commonplace to hear yeah. about, you know, um, you know, eating disorders. There's very much more public awareness right. about it. Right. right. This is, yeah, 20 years yeah. ago. And you have a seventh grader yeah. um, having a Diet Coke in a day, mm. you know, and like running before school. Mm. So, um, yeah, that was... It was um, kind of an eye opener. And of course, then we didn't, you know, what we know now is they're often a response to trauma. Right. Um, right. But again, all of this is just, we know this now. Right. So right. here I am, I'm 20 years old and I'm watching my sister um, suffer. Yeah. And I don't think it was really, um, and of course, being far away and I'm the fixer right. and I'm the helper and right. I'm the big sister, um, there wasn't a whole lot I could do. Yeah. Um, so, and your mom wasn't receptive to it. No, not in the beginning. Um, but I think, I don't know when it all shook out, but finally, I mean, she was like getting physically ill. Mm. She needed inpatient hospital treatment for for medical reasons. You know, her weight was so low and I think, you know, she was in children's a couple of times in Boston and it was, I mean, it was serious. It was scary. Did she ever talk to you about it? Um, no, she was very emotionally stunted. Okay. Um, you know, think about it when, right. I think she was, I guess, how old when my dad was diagnosed, um, second grade. Yeah. And those are my twins age right now. So I think of that and I'm like, Oh my God. So, um, so yeah, she did not really talk to me about it. Um, did you, you, but you asked her about it or I would, I was, you know, I was, this is kind of why I went into my field. I felt like at least I was always the one people came to for advice or support or feedback. Could trust. Yeah. 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 And, um, I almost, and to no fault of hers, but it's not like I became the enemy, but it's just that she was shut down and wasn't really talking to anybody. Yeah. Um, and so that was really hard. So fast forward, um, spring of my sophomore year, I ended up having a panic attack and I didn't know it because mm. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I'm like, I'm good. I'm the well one. I'm the healthy one. I'm this quote unquote strong one. These are all the messages that you tell yourself. Right. right? right. And, um, woke up out of a dead sleep, like heart racing, convul- like shaking. And, um, to the point where my roommates called 911 because I was like, I don't know. Really? Yeah, it was really scary. Like you've I, never had, you had never had that never, before. Never had anxiety. Huh. Um, of course, I remember 
going through my dad's funeral and everything, like my heart was racing. And right. then, but no, this right. was something like out of body experience that happened three more times. Jeez. And I was seeing a counselor at the time in college because, you know, my dad had passed away and there was stuff going on at home. So did you let's hold on there yeah. for a second, because I think this is really important for a lot of young girls. Yes. Um, did you come to your own kind of like aha moment where mm-hmm. where you said I need to go see someone or was it encouraged by someone else? Well, I remember. So I started my freshman year with a grief counselor. Okay. So okay. that's kind of what put, and then I really connected mm-hmm. with the um, facilitator. She was a psychologist on campus. Got and it. so, and I'll never forget, there were only two counselors in the counseling department at that time. That's where your only options. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but like now I think of like, you know, counseling centers and colleges are right. busting at the seams and yeah. they have 10. Which is um, actually sad because they have to be busting. Like oh. they have to be you know, a ton of options because it's I know. so prevalent now. It is. It is. Sad. So so that's how that started. And then I just continued to see her to kind of process my grief. Mm-hmm. But when I told her about what had happened, you know, I've been to the ER and I was feeling dizzy all the time. And like literally, even when I wasn't having a panic attack. Yeah. And um, so they po- they told me in the ER I had vertigo and they gave me some <laughs> vertigo medicine. Of course, it didn't help. Um, So, yeah. Anxiety can have a lot of physical symptoms and um, dizziness can be one of them. And she's like, I think you were having panic attacks. Um, I was started on Paxil because I was like, well, this doesn't feel good. Maybe stop. Yeah. Give me something. (laughs) So, yeah. So um, she, well, she couldn't prescribe, but somebody at the college did. And I was put on Paxil and I started feeling better. Huh. Yeah. And were you on that for a long time? I was. I stayed on it through um, college okay. a few years. It was sort of, um, and I say this to some people, you know, you can be on medicine for what we call like situational, right. you know, spikes of anxiety or right. depression. Um, given that I was, I had a lot of stressors um, that I was processing. I yeah. believe I stayed on it for two years at the time, started feeling a lot better. Um, yeah. And my senior year, I was not on medication. I, I vividly remember not being on anything. Like you took yourself off of it? Um, with a doctor. Yeah. yeah. You can okay. wean yourself off. You know, it's a weaning process. Yeah. Never go cold turkey. Yeah. Even if you think you feel awesome, you probably feel awesome because the meds are working <laughs> <laughs> or other things that you're doing. But, um, yeah. yeah. So senior year and then, um, because I did start having more anxiety, um, and even some symptoms of depression my senior year. So how did you, how were you able to eventually wean yourself off with the help of a doctor? With the help of a doctor, um, it's pretty simple. If you want, if you feel like, hey, I want to come off my medicine, um, you just let them know. And if they agree, you know, they they can't force you to do anything, right? right? right. But if you're like, I'm good, you know, there's, um, it can take some time and you slowly decrease your dose, typically a week or two at each increment you know going down but what else were you doing in your life to be like I can do this now very important because I feel like that's you know for me I just didn't want to be I I was in a totally different place at 31 than I was at at 16 right so I was like okay I'm ready I feel like I have a way better control and handle on my life absolutely but it took me you know 15 16 years of work Mm -hmm. 
So work, what exactly. work did you do? Well, <laughs> um, lots of therapy. Yeah. Okay. Kind of realizing, you know, just even learning about anxiety and right. depression. Right. right. Um, lots of retraining my thoughts, mm-hmm. my brain, um, and exercise running. Okay. It's my passion. Um, it did turn into more of an unhealthy yeah. relationship um, in my early 20s after I graduated college. Okay. Um, I was over-exercising, trying to control, right. you know, all the things that felt out of control right. in my life. I did. I had to move back home after college to go to grad school. Um, home is a trigger mm. for lots of reasons. Okay. And so I did see... Um, you know, I started over exercising. Yeah. Um, I started to um, restrict my food, all the it was called disordered eating at the time. Of course, people might be like, well, how could you let that happen? Your sister had anorexia. Right. Like, well, you don't let it happen. Right. It just before you know it. It's a subconscious. Thing. Yeah. It's takes happening over. Yeah. It takes over. And when you see yourself every day in a mirror you don't mm-hmm. see the drastic change like right. when you saw Katie that one right. time you hadn't seen her in a long time yeah, exactly several months so was she was she still going through her eating disorder at the same time that you came home um or that you moved back home? yes I mean when I say she had been and I, I want to say 10 years over yeah 10 years or more that she was in and out of treatment wow um yeah so yes she was going through it where she was in the spectrum I can't exactly remember but isn't it interesting that you know when you first saw her it's almost like this quick to judge sort of thing Mm -hmm. but then when we're going when we're going through it it's like well it's me it's my body so you know we don't judge ourselves the same way. Right. It's like this different sort of mentality it surrounding is. it. It's like you find a way to make it okay because that's your reality. I I found a way to make it okay because I have anxiety and yeah. I am just trying to feel yeah. better. And yeah. so let me go run it out. Right. But then it turns into this, you know, snowball Spiral. effect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we find these. And I, I see this now after I've done so much work with my depression and bipolar. Like mm-hmm. I look back and it was everyone else's fault or this was happening Mm -hmm. because of this like Mm -hmm. everything was cause and effect Mm -hmm. versus like no everything was a cause like there was a root of everything going on Mm -hmm. and I just wanted to like place blame on everybody else right so it's easy for you to go home and be like mom what are you doing like you don't see what's happening but when it's happening to you oh yeah you know it's not until like 10 15 years later looking back that you can say that oh absolutely and as a psychology major right and as you know, I was actively um, getting my master's in clinical social work. It's like, hello, Kristen. <laughs> so what made you decide to go into this field um, at the same time that you were very much struggling with this field? Yeah. Right? Well, so it, I don't know. And I keep meaning I should look her up. But honestly, the the connection I felt with my therapist in college, mm-hmm. I was like, I want to be her. Her name was Christine. Everyone called her Dr. Christine. And I just loved her energy and yeah. her style. And I it was basically the way that I was acting to my family and friends, right? Yeah. Um, receiving people's pain or receiving people's, um, you know, worries mm-hmm. and then, you know, helping them through that. And so I'd always kind of been the helper. Yep. Um, 
And I knew I didn't want to look at spreadsheets. So <laughs> like I'm good at, I was really good at math and I'm looking back like should I have been an accountant? Yeah. But um but now that didn't interest me. So I kind of changed my major a couple of times and fell into this. I loved my classes. I connected with them. Yeah. Um and then furthermore, you know, what I knew is well, you know, you need a master's to do anything, you know, professionally. Right. right. So that just seemed like an easy next step for me. Okay. So you obviously made your way through that eating disorder. Yes. yes. Um, you did the work there and things were pretty good for a while, right? You got married in your 20s mm-hmm. and ended up moving to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And then it came time to have a family. Yeah. Um, so let's move into that part because this think- is where I think, I think it's important to know your background mm-hmm. and the reason that we handle things as adults is very much based on what happened to us as kids and teenagers and our early 20s. So being able to understand that, um, I think, will help Mm -hmm. in this next chapter of of your journey. Yes, absolutely. So um, we were like, well, I mean, let's have babies, (laughs) right? Um, Sounds like the perfect story. Well, well, first you're like, let's get out of the Northeast because it's awful. <laughs> first, then we fell in love with Atlanta. We're like, we are never moving home. And it's been true thus far. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, but I could not get pregnant. Um, well, I was not. Um, so we, my OB was like, well, you know, you need to see a fertility specialist. So we tried. This is at 28, you said? Um, uh, yes. Yeah. 28. And, um, so yeah, I had been married for two years, had kind of like settled in into Atlanta. We even bought a house, like all the things. Yeah. And so we're like, well, this is the next step, right? Um, well, we had to go through fertility okay. treatments. And um, so, and we were, you know, again, this was how many years ago? I can't count 10. 10 yeah. And um, it wasn't talked about as much, Mm-mm. fertility struggles. Um, no, because it meant something was wrong with you. Exactly. Right? Like you're a female, you're yeah. a woman, you're supposed to be able to reproduce. Exactly. And this is what you your body is created for. There's something wrong with you. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Which is ridiculous. It's so dumb. <laughs> There's so <laughs> many reasons why. But um, so we sought out, um, you know, treatment. We got tested for everything. Yeah. Um, you know, and turns out that I just needed to be put on some medication and we had to go through, you know, a few rounds of that injections. Um, it was exhausting. It was exhausting. (laughs) I went, so I went through, um, I froze my eggs a few years ago. So Uh going through like the first stage of IVF, when you pump yourself full of hormones and like, your body doesn't feel like it's yours. No. And, oh, it was awful. I know. It was awful. So I can only imagine what the whole thing's like. Yeah, yeah. And um, I mean, my husband was so supportive. I had a great doctor. She yeah. was awesome. And so, yeah, we went through that. And I'm very fortunate, very fortunate that that was just the fix. I could not ovulate. So, like, okay. that's what the medication helped me do. So it was not like I my body wasn't able to hold a pregnancy or maintain a pregnancy. So very fortunate that we only had to go through one it simply was that you just couldn't get pregnant correct right yeah my brain was like we don't know how to ovulate Mm -hmm. um which can be common in women under um chronic stress or anxiety okay um 
a lot, I, I see so many women in my practice where they've had a lifetime of either stress or trauma. Not that, that we, they recognize it as such when they were growing up, but I'm like, I hear their stories and I'm like, Oh my God, you're in fight or flight your whole life. life. Is there a term for that? Um, in terms of related to fertility? Yeah. Well, it definitely affects your hypothalamus. Okay. And so sometimes it can affect, um, and that's the part of your brain that says, hey, you need to ovulate. So mine was called hypothalamic amenorrhea. It sounds really nerdy. Yeah. Um, Years of even physical stress, like running and obviously and working out. And, um, but then, you know, the stress of the things that I went through or the pressure that I felt I was under, um, I felt like I had to be perfect. Yep very common yeah. in um, women who end up struggling. Would eating disorders have anything to do with it or just that yeah. is a stressor. So therefore that can, yeah, like- certainly that stressed my body out. Um, I was, that, that wasn't mentioned, but I'm sure it has something to do with okay. it. But I we regained a period and all of that after, you know, becoming well in my yeah. nutrition and my exercise, but it, it very well could have. Huh? Yeah. So, how many times did you have to go through IVF to get pregnant? So just once. Just the one. Yeah. Okay. Thank okay. God. Yeah. Okay. With Riley. So Riley was our first baby. Okay. And um, it was, I felt, you know, great during my pregnancy. Yeah. I felt like I was glowing. You know, all my appointments went well. Yeah. He, the, it would, there were no complications with the actual pregnancy. Um. I was on bed rest for a couple weeks at the end because I had low fluid. But um, other than that, it was, was a healthy. very healthy, um, happy pregnancy, if you know, if those exist. And um, so, and he was born and he was great and he was an easy baby. Yeah. He did have colic. I do. I think I blocked that out. But um, did you work the whole time? Yes, I went back. I went back to because I worked at Emory okay. Midtown. Uh-huh. I was a social worker there. And um I went back PRN. So, but basically I ended up working full time in the end because what PRN is like, if, you know, if someone goes out in the department on vacation or sick leave or whatever you fill in. So I ended up basically working full time. Um, and if not, it was like three to four days, but, um, yeah. So he was in daycare full time. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So you had him. Uh-huh. Easy peasy. Yeah. He was a dreamboat. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> you know, first, first kid under the belt and yeah. then you decided, Hey, let's do this again. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe Greg decided that. No, I'll never forget. <laughs> we looked at each other or we were talking after his first birthday party and we were like, Oh my God, he's such a good baby. We can do this oh again. We gosh. can handle it. Yeah. Um, still was not, um, able to get pregnant on my own. Okay. And a lot of times um, a pregnancy can, you know, sort of, quote unquote, fix the problem with fertility. But okay. that was not our case. Um, so like it can like rewrite your body. Well, it depends a lot of times. Um, so and this is why people who go through fertility treatments end up having a surprise baby so soon because they think we can't get pregnant naturally, but oftentimes it can get your body back into a rhythm. Interesting. Yeah. So it happens quite often. Um, and so, so yeah, but that did not with us. Okay. So Um, you still struggled the second time. Yep. So, um, and, but we knew right where to go. Right, we right. went back and, um, went through that whole thing again. But again, I just, I don't know. I felt like 
kind of like Superwoman. Like, we've got this. He's a good baby. Um, You know, we were in a great place. And um, so, yeah, we were like, okay, well, we'll just go do this again. Went through more, obviously, of the the shots and Mm -hmm. all of that. And um, went in blood test, positive pregnancy. Think Again, very, very grateful and so blessed to have it work. You know, I know that. So, um, yeah. For those that are struggling, I know that's a rarity. Um, but go for the ultrasound and oh my God. <laughs> There's, yeah. Surprise. Yeah. And yeah. So here we are twins. Um, this pregnancy was very different though. Okay. So mm-hmm. let's rewind just for people that may not have any clue. When they do IVF, mm-hmm. there are multiple you know, chances yes. or there, there are chances for multiple babies, correct? Yes. So mm-hmm. that's where triplets and quadruplets, that's yes. where like people with several kids come from. Exactly. So you knew that there was a chance that you were going to have twins? Yes. So in speak, so I did not have to go through IVF. I could go through IUI, which okay. is intrauterine insemination. Um, basically, so I don't have to have the um, the follicle implanted. Got it. Right. Okay. Okay. So I just had to, the, the drugs that I was taking were creating follicles. Got it. The reason why we didn't have multiples on our radar is because our doctor was very conservative and she prided herself on that. This wasn't too far after, um, Octomom. Oh my God. And that's the procedure Octomom had. Remember her? Yes. So, you know, she wanted she to ensure it. Right. That's just irresponsible, unethical. So a medicine. doctor just puts several. Well, we, we'll proceed with the procedure even if you have grown, let's say, eight follicles, oh, right? Which I then see. can become fertilized eggs. Got it. So, yeah, right. So she would only go through with the procedure if I had one follicle, which I did. But, you know, Fertility 101, you take a booster shot. Right. Well, apparently I must have had a follicle that was sort of like hey, ready to go. I'm kind of ready. And so the booster shot must have really made it more dominant. And wow. so so she was very even apologetic. <laughs> like, you know, this is are you okay? You know, checking in yeah. on me. Because yeah. again, she was very conservative and um and I appreciate that. But yeah. again, going back to you, no, okay, we got this. Feeling yeah. like superwoman. Yeah. Um, you know, I we were like, we're gonna you know, figure it out. Yeah. 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 So, so, but it started off the pregnancy was once you found out you had twins. Yes. When was that? How long, far along were you? Very soon. Cause you're going in like yeah. every day for blood yeah. work. So I was like six weeks pregnant. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you felt fine. You felt normal. Yeah. Like nothing out of the norm. Um, no. And I was not at this point on any antidepressants or anti-anxiety meds. I was feeling good. By then I was like finding my running rhythm, you know, um, in a healthy way, in a healthy yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. There's no time. Right. Yeah. But no. And I had really come to grips with like, um, you know, honoring my body mm-hmm. and not, you know, punishing myself yeah. for my body, yeah. you know, which is very much in, intertwined in disordered eating and right. exercise and all right. that. So, um, yeah, I had really like started honoring my body for what it could do, running healthily, um, you know, social and intera- like social connection is a huge, yeah. like fills my cup. So doing that with great friends. So that's kind of how I was managing, you know, this l- lingering history of 
depression and anxiety. And at this point, Riley was about a year and a year and a half. Yeah. Almost into the, okay. Okay. So, um, when did things kind of start to change? Like, do you remember we talk about triggers, right? Mm -hmm. Like going home was a trigger Mm because that's where your dad was and all Mm -hmm. that. So what happened during the second pregnancy that triggered the next, the next thing. <laughs> um, I think it was, and we say this in mental health, right. And particularly with pregnant and postpartum women, it's like a perfect storm. Yeah. Um, obviously I had pumped my body full of hormones, but mm-hmm. I had done it before. So, you know, but now I had two babies that I was growing. Right. So multiple pregnancy does put you at higher risk, um, of a perinatal mood disorder. Um, say that again, a perinatal, yeah, sorry, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. Are I think we're no- so used to hearing postpartum, postpartum. or, pre- yes. you know what I mean? So I wanted to make sure we got it right. Right. It's not just after you have a baby. We now know you can feel, have an onset of depression or anxiety or even OCD Mm. while you're pregnant. And then, and then furthermore, it's, you can have an onset well after six to 12 weeks postpartum. So it encompasses the entire perinatal phase, which includes um, preconception. So if you are going through fertility treatments, oh yeah, yeah. So I mean... You know, so a lot of women are like, what's happening to me? Why don't I feel happy? You right. know, I have this great thing going. And so then, did you start to feel that? Um, I, yes. So I think what really set this in motion was, like I said, a perfect storm. Um, Riley was actually hospitalized. Um, he was sick all the time, mm-hmm. um, like high, high fevers. And they didn't know what it was. Well, at one point he was hospitalized for three days to rule out meningitis mm. and you know, again, feeling so blessed and fortunate. It was a short stay in the hospital yeah. at Choa, but um, I think that was kind of like, you know, lighting the match. Right. And um, I'll, I remember, and it was my birthday weekend. Okay. Um, so it was Memorial Day weekend. And I remember feeling like super sad for my baby, mm-hmm. but also even like super sad for me. I was like, this is my birthday. I, mean, I know right. that sounds so selfish, but that was depression. It was yeah. like totally, yeah. you know, all me, me, me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, this sucks, you know? And then, you know, just a lot of things, but, um, I just started kind of withdrawing, okay. like, um, internalizing a lot. Yeah. Um, not talking to my husband or my sister who are like my people. Um, and, it just started going down from there. I was just, you know, just wanting to be in bed all day. Mm-hmm. Um, I was angry. I was really irritable. That depression can look like irritability and anger. On steroids. Uh-huh. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and people are like, no, you're just being a bitch. No. I know you're like, pregnant. Your hormones. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah, that too. But yeah, no, this was something Like you else. knew there was something off. Oh, for sure. But like again it was there was like this wall between me and my people yeah and um you know I didn't even really want to engage with Riley who is the sweetest little thing um and it just it got to the point where I remember being in bed it was a weekend and it was so it was like pitch dark in my room and I don't know how it got to this point but I told my husband I was like I don't want to be here anymore Mm. and he's like what do you mean and I was like I just feel like you would be better off without me and like, and these babies would be better off without me. And, um, and I'm a therapist at this right. point. Okay. Right. And I'm not knowing. So now you feel even worse about it. Yeah. I'm like, how come I can't control this? What's going on with me? Yeah. And, um, 
And that was like, I think, you know, my breaking point, obviously. It's not that I had any intention of doing anything to myself, but that was just the sentiment. Like you all would be better off without me. I'm treating you terribly. I don't feel well. I don't want to engage with you. Yeah. Um, and I think that's important to recognize if you're somebody who's gone through this, it doesn't necessarily mean that, Oh my gosh, you're going to act out on, you know, a plan of suicide. You can just feel like, think really Mm -hmm. the distorted thoughts that, you know, it, it would just be better off. You would be, you know, pain free Mm -hmm. and other people wouldn't have to deal with you being a burden. And I think, but that's not the case, right? You know, that's your thoughts and they are distorted. And I think it's important to remember that. Granted, I'm not a therapist, Mm -hmm. but I've been through all of this and I feel like that very much is a precursor. That's kind of on the way to suicidal thoughts. It's like you feel that for a long time or short, you know, different depending on, the person and what they're going through but like that's kind of the first like I just don't want to be around yeah I'm not going to do anything about it right yet right but like that's definitely a precursor mm-hmm. so that's like a huge red flag totally um if anyone you know if your friends are saying that or yeah family members it doesn't mean they're going to do something right now but it's right. definitely like on the road right so what did Greg say to you like I mean he, he there's only so much somebody else can say to you right Absolutely. It's, I think my sister was also there because again, I think they were, they were clearly worried about me at this point. And you this know? is your middle, the, Megan, Megan, yes. not the youngest one. No. Cause you don't really speak Megan, to my sister, Megan. Lot. Yeah. We're yeah. So, um, um, Megan lives here in Atlanta. <laughs> she moved down too. she cut the bug. She's yeah. like, this is for the birds. Like the snow in she, April is not she my thing. She moved down. She's yeah. the most amazing aunt. Aww. Um, so yeah, she had been there, um, and so I was about 20 weeks pregnant okay. at this point. Um, and my husband, uh, he was amazing. I for, I for, He said, we're going to get you help. He called my perinatologist, who was my high-risk doctor because okay. of the multiples. Um, and rather than my OB, for some reason, I don't know, that's who, who he called. And um, she's like, hold on. Oh, we went in to see her right away. And then she said, stay here, don't leave. And she got me the phone number for or she got me an appointment, I forget, with Emory Women's Mental Health Center. Okay. Dr. Goldsmith, um, she saved my life, honestly. So they got you in right away. Yes, and thankfully. What are they, like, what's the first step? So she was a psychiatrist. These are psychiatrists there. Okay, that now, specialize in? Yes, in women, women who are, are and postpartum. Okay. Um, and women who may have experienced loss as well. Okay. Um, and yeah, so she is somebody who could prescribe medication. So I went to see her. Greg came with me um, and I just broke down and she said, this is depression. Mm-hmm. This is perinatal depression. Um, the onset made sense for me, obviously, with a history of this mm-hmm. in my you know, family and within myself, but also coupled the fact of like some stressors with Riley being in the hospital and being sick. Right. Um, Greg had a job where he was traveling a good mm. bit. Um, and, um, obviously, a, you know, multiple pregnancy, um, and all, you know, the fertility the hormones yeah, and, yeah, hormones. So, um, I don't know. I felt it was almost like a placebo effect. I felt so much better being in there and talking to her because, you know, when you're going through this, you think, what is wrong with me? I'm messed up to be thinking these things. Especially you know? when I'm pregnant. Yeah. 
and they're two people, healthy babies yeah. and people would kill to be pregnant exactly. right now. So you feel worse yes. about it because you should be happy. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, she normalized all of that for me. Yeah. Um, I was started on um, an SSRI Celexa. So you can take medications when you are pregnant. Which like when you told me this, I was like, yeah, psh, mind right. blown because you know, I remember all my years, my twenties. And then in my thirties, they always said, you know, yes. if there's a chance you ever get pregnant, you need to tell us right away. And I'm right. like, well, first of all, that's not happening. Right. A, like, B, because you have to go off all of your medications. Not, not always true. Certain medications, you know, there's like right. benzos, like Xanax, Clonopin aren't safe, but, but that, but even that is a myth. So the reason why I promote Emory so much is because they are up to date in all of the latest research um, for what is safe for women who are trying to become pregnant, for women who are pregnant, and for women who are nursing. And I guess I would argue if you're to stay, like, it seems like you pretty much hit rock bottom I at did. that point, right? So what's what's worse? Exactly. You know, what I might do to myself? Exactly. Or taking medication to make sure I stay around and have two healthy babies. Exactly. Or, you know, what am I putting the babies through even in utero? Right. You the know, stressors mm -hmm, and exactly. what they're feeling and it experiencing. Also, it can, yeah. They're right. Right. Everything is sort of not everything, but you know, there's so much that happens in utero, yeah. like the way that mom feels affects the, the development of baby. Right. And so it's super important right. to ask the questions and you know you may have ideas in your mind about mm -hmm. what is safe and what isn't but go to a professional who can tell you how so they put you on this medication right away mm -hmm. how long did it take to actually um feel better well like i said i felt a huge weight lifted right off of away. me right away yeah. only because i was like okay they know everyone knows like the people in my circle and i'm it's not like crazy. that little little like glimmer of hope yes right when someone tells you like this is what is this, going on you're exactly. like oh this whole time I thought yeah. I was just psycho and Me, crazy exactly yeah. um but with an SSRI typically they can take four to six weeks to really build up in your system um and so it's important to stay the path with those mm -hmm. things because oftentimes like oh this doesn't work for me right you know we're like right. in a feel-good society like instant gratification yes. yeah. um but stick with it and um you know it builds up over time and were you still working I was still work. I yeah. I somehow managed so you're counseling to other people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, you're meanwhile going was, through yeah. some stuff. Well, I yeah. was exactly. Um, I was more doing. Well, I was a clinical director at that time. Oh, okay. So okay. I was le touching less patients, and Got I was it. actually behind the desk more, which is kind of not my thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it was probably for the better at that point. Yeah. Obviously. Um. Yeah, because you know you obviously have to be in a good headspace to be helping other people. Right. So, um, yeah, but I managed to like function. I think I might've called out sick one day and I don't think anybody would have known that I was depressed. And I think that sometimes when people are depressed, like we do a really good job at hiding it Yes. and you just kind of like do your day to day. And it's mm -hmm. like, you don't even remember what you did that day. Mm -mm. Like you're just so conditioned to go through it and act like everything is okay, yeah. which is why depression's terrifying because you really don't know what strong people, strong people, quote unquote, yeah, exactly. are going through because they hide it so well. Yeah, especially somebody in your, you know, 
what you are going through. You've got a healthy, for the most part, healthy yeah. one and a half year old, right. pregnant with twins, like from the mm-hmm. outside, you got the husband that loves you, oh, adores yeah. you, like High you look the part. Yeah. Like, total American dream, right? right? We even had a picket fence. We did. <laughs> was it white? <laughs> it wasn't white. But okay. I was like, oh, gross. How bad? Could... No, but um, yeah, I mean, things aren't always as they seem. Right, right. right. So you got out of that dark space with mm-hmm. Dr. Goldsmith. Yes. Is she still there? She is. is she? They are very busy now I send them a lot of people but obviously the word is out that you know so they're very um busy but if you are in the Atlanta area you can just google Emory Women's Mental Health Center okay perfect Mm -hmm. so it took you know a good month six weeks to feel better after the medication um and then are there other things that you did at that point to really make sure that you were not only just medicate because I think Mm -hmm. it's it's important that we you know promote everything else that goes along like right. med- meds don't just fix no, everything they, they help exactly. you exactly absolutely yeah. so you know certainly I had a very chemical situation going on in my yeah. brain and that's why I just say like you know sometimes that's how it is you know then there's situations right. that can make it worse right um oh yeah I forgot to mention I'm I'm in therapy like all since I was yeah um at the at that time you know it's been on and off throughout the years mm-hmm. since then but um but oh yeah, like I've been in therapy since I was 18 on and off. Right. So, um, you know, really working on myself, really working on, um, you know, coping, coping skills, um, making sure I'm taking care of me first, which right. is really hard to right. do. Um, especially but, when you have a one and a half year old yeah. and then twins on the way exactly right and but that's where I get into so much with my clients about you know nobody can do it for you right and you know you show up as a better mom if you're taking care of you first and you have to ask for help you do and you have to make the time too you have to ask for help I got I have such an amazing village um that I'm able to do the things that I need to do to stay well Mm -hmm. honestly Mm -hmm. so the twins were born Mm -hmm. and you had no problems after that none that's crazy well, I was on medicine and I was <laughs> and and then no I, I I say that but um no it really I mean it it very much helped me transition into a mom from going from one to three yeah. and um working full-time and um in a very stressful job I was not counseling at the time I was working in a really toxic place as a clinical director but um so that into um in addition to therapy, in yeah. addition to, you know, physical fitness. Right. Um, is really kind of been my MO ever since. So they were born with they had no problems. No, correct? I tell I tell my clients who are questioning medicine, I'm like, they're a little weird sometimes, <laughs> you know, but you can take meds. Um, yeah, no complications, thank God. Um, I carried them full term, thirty seven really? weeks. Wow. Yeah. Uh-huh. Wow. Um, yeah, my water broke, all that stuff. I did have to have a um I had a C section with Riley, so I had another C section with them. Yeah. But um, no, I I think, you know, if had I not gotten help during pregnancy, I mean, how could I not have? But I'm grateful that I mean, because I was able to handle like even newborn twins yeah. and a toddler who wasn't potty trained. Like, I don't know. I look back. I don't know how I managed it, but um, obviously with a lot of support. But, right. Right. Yeah. So what would you tell a first time mom who might be experiencing the same sort of thing mm-hmm. that's terrified to like voice what's actually going on in her head? Because 
there is this sort sort of stigma that like mm-hmm. you should be on top of the world, you should right. be so happy, you should be glowing, you're pregnant, like mm-hmm. all this stuff that society says, and like you're really internally struggling. Like, what would you tell her? I would say you are not alone. Mm-hmm. Um, for you know, if you were to share or to let somebody know what you're going through, I guarantee you, if that person hadn't experienced something similar, they know of someone right. who has. Right. You know, and you know there aren't going to be healthcare providers. Well, I'm sure there's jerks everywhere, but you know, letting someone know and getting help and and finding a space. For yourself yeah. to process some of this is so important because to keep it bottled inside, it's going right. to eat you alive. Right, right. And it's going to be passed on. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, somehow, right? So if you don't um, do it for yourself, do it for your child. So how old are your twins now? So they're eight. Okay, so for the past eight years... Yes what's been going on with your own mental health and physical health Mm -hmm. and and all of that. Um, Are you, well, let's, let's first ask, (laughs) are we done? Are you done? Oh yes. Okay. Okay. Like I will love on a baby. (laughs) If mom brings a baby to my office, I will shush. I will rock. I will do it all. But yeah, I mean, I joke like I just love babies, but no, we can't handle anymore. Mm -mm. Okay. Yeah. Greg Mize puts, the no on that it's like we're done yeah uh-huh. um so you're you're done in that aspect but yes. you have a 10 and two eight-year-olds you're very much in the thick of things yes so <laughs> now that they're running to sports and school and and mm-hmm. all of this and like it's a very different stage than when they are babies and they're first born right and, and they and, sit still and they sit still <laughs> yeah so how do you find did anything in the past eight years happen or has any everything been pretty good mm-hmm. as far as like whether you're still on medication mm-hmm. or what you do for your mental and physical health? Mm-hmm. Um, or have you hit some bumps in the road along the way? Yeah. You know, I would say in general, it's been, I mean, I, I, I'm known as like the hot mess. Okay. Like, <laughs> I know. um, I, you know, it's chaotic in our home. Yeah. Um, I am late to everything, you know, but overall I have been, re- I would say stable. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, what I try and say is, and, and yes, I still take medicine. Mm-hmm. It's my, you know, it's my happy pills. Um, for anxiety or for depression? Depression or, for okay, both. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I think, you know, it's funny though, and I have to say this, sorry, soapbox moment, but I think people are more afraid to say they have depression than anxiety. Yeah. Anxiety is so like 2020, right? It like, is. oh, my anxiety is so yeah. bad. And it is, it's true. It's real. But yeah. like, it's okay if you have depression too. Yeah. I say, I have depression and anxiety, but am I depressed or right. anxious? No. Yeah. Right. Anxious more so. Um, or having, you know, moments of anxiety, you know, but I think, um, so anyways, yes, I have been on medicine ever since I had the twins. <laughs> I don't plan on coming off of them for now. Yeah. Um, and, but moreover, it's really self-care is my biggest, biggest thing. And I know as moms, there's so much mom guilt yeah. for, you know, oh, I'm going to go to the gym or I'm going to go out with friends or I'm going to go lay down. And to that, I say, you know, you're just, you're, you're towing a fine line there because then, um, you know, what happens when you're not okay, mm-hmm. you know? And so do all the things that refuel you right. first and your, your marriage next, and then your kids, 
Really? So you yeah. go you, marriage, and then yeah. kids? Maybe not marriage. I'll be honest. But that's what they suggest. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know? Sorry, Greg. But it's real life. You yeah. Know? No, um, I... But society so much today is like kids, 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 put right. your kids first, live through your kids, do everything for your kids, say yes to your kids. And it's like, oh my gosh, it's not sustainable. Right. And then well, we're the, teaching our kids that we'll do everything. Exactly. For them. I was just going to say that. And then we have the next generation of, right. you know, mm-hmm. problem nosed bratty mm-hmm. ass kids mm-hmm. that think they deserve the world because that's what, you know, their parents, their parents gave, gave them. them. And not to any fault of their own. That's right. what they thought they should do. Yeah. But like, I mean, I look at some um, 20-some-year-olds that that I've interviewed and, like, looking to hire, and I'm like, the world doesn't owe you anything. Yes. Like, it really doesn't. And you might have to actually work to make to make your money yeah <laughs> like, you might like have to roll work up your really sleeves. hard you're yeah. gonna have to start at the bottom and it's yeah. like they don't get that because I think maybe their parents were so terrified or threatened of not giving their kids what they didn't have growing up exactly you know but it's like we're we're kind of perpetuating our own next generation of problems like yeah. we are doing that Mm-hmm. We have to let our kids fail, yeah, and we have to let our kids, you know, squirm a little bit because and when fend we for d- themselves first, yeah, second. because the message that it sends if you're like rescuing them or giving them everything is either one, you know, you deserve everything, yeah. right, no matter what, and two, or two, I don't think you can do this on your own, right? I need to help you. Mm, that's a good point. And so it, it can actually create lower self esteem, right, in kids and lower, lower anxiety because exactly. they're like, wait, now I'm at college on my own. What do and, I do? And failure is like not in their vocabulary right? right. Um, or in their repertoire of memories. So it's like, oh my, so they're calling their parents every 30 seconds. That's Jeez. what's happening. So if you want your child to call you every 30 seconds at college, keep doing that. Well, some parents <laughs> do that because they need to feel important. Yeah. Right? So exactly. that's on them. Mm-hmm. So how are you teaching your boys, mm-hmm. you know, about um, communication, about like, talking to you about how they're feeling like yeah I think it's a we have a huge opportunity with our next generation of boys and men mm-hmm. um to really change this whole toxic masculinity thing that's going on that yes. you got to be big and tough and not be a, a sissy and cry mm. it's like that just creates a whole uh, firestorm of things right so what are you doing to really empower them and also teach them that it's that it's okay to fail it's okay to be sad it's okay to have all these things going on absolutely well um I do I very much I'm a huge proponent for the growth mindset okay um and that is you know if we talk to kids and we praise their effort rather than the outcome Mm, so in anything in school in sports in relationships you know did you try your hardest because that's what I care about I don't care if you got a b or a c but did you try right you know so that that I think um, crosses over a lot of topics in our yeah. household um, because I do have one more with more anxiety you know he negative self-talk mm-hmm. we, that's another thing we I really work on you know how do we talk to ourselves yeah you know do we lift ourselves up or are we saying I'm bad at this I'm no good at this and um, I try and catch them in that mm-hmm. and I'm um, and so, you know, if they are having trouble with something, I encourage them to take a breather um, or I can't do this. I say, I, you can't do this yet. Mm. You know, um, growth mindset is the opposite of fixed mindset. Right. Fixed is very like, you know, end of story, end of the do? road. What do, we do? what do we do? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so we do a lot of that. And then, you know, um, like, okay, 
the other night we watched that movie Inside Out. Yeah. Have you seen it? No, I've heard about it though. It's so, you need to watch it. Um, But we watch movies about feelings. Yes. <laughs> no. And we talk about it. Um, Great little movie to teach your kids about the different parts of their brain. And I even re- reference it in sessions with my clients. Um, So there's sadness and joy and right, fear right. and all of that. And so, um, yeah, we had a night the other night where they chose it. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is great. Yes. Um, and just talking like the children tend to be most open hearted um, to receiving what you have to say right before bed. Okay. I learned that from Laura Hunter. She is the founder of Moms on Call. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, rather than like lecturing my kids on something that I noticed during the day, you know, we like to have conversations at mm-hmm. night as much as possible. Right. Sometimes I'm, I'm checked out. I yeah. said, Greg, daddy's handling bedtime, yeah. you know, <laughs> so I just not like I do this every night. Um, but just creating that space, yeah. you know, I'm trying to do things in parenting that I, that I did not get for like specifically like for my dad it was very much like suck it up right you know you're strong this is the way it is be the best or else right and so I'm trying to make room for and he and he did the best he could with what he knew right right? so I don't fault him for anything there's a lot of perfectionistic parents or the parents that expect perfection from their kids yeah well and if you hadn't gone through what you went through Mm -hmm. you could very you might be parenting like he did. Exactly. So your story is very much changing the way that you're parenting the next generation yes. and hopefully helps them deal with these emotions. I hope so. I really do think that's, that is why, you know, when we go through anything in our life, any yeah. sort of struggle, it is, it is not like this, this huge mountain that we have to climb like yes it is there but it's there for a reason absolutely and if you can search for the reason and search for the why it Mm -hmm. almost 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 Mm -hmm. makes it worth it you know I I I totally I totally get it I always say you know I wasn't always this way I always wasn't reaching out to strangers on the internet (laughs) um I always wasn't you know vocal about you know my beliefs about you know creating more awareness and tolerance Mm -hmm. for mental illness it's who I have become Mm -hmm. through working through a lot of my stuff you know oh yeah 10 years ago I mean yeah I never would have said Mm -mm. no one would have known nobody did know and now I'm like you know I just saw my psychiatrist today to to re-up you know um but yeah, I, I encourage like the women that I'm working with a lot of times have had, um, you know, stuff from their past. Mm-hmm. They don't realize it sometimes till yeah. they come to see me. And I'm yeah. like, well, let's talk about your childhood. Yeah. And I'm like, what does this have to do with anything? I'm like, well, a lot. Yes, like <laughs> um, everything. Yeah, but we don't have to stay the person that we thought we had to be when we yeah. were little. Yeah. And that's so important. Yeah. I thought I had to be a certain way when I was younger to, you know, make the dynamic in our family work. But mm-hmm. I don't have to stay that person and neither does anybody right right do you find is it important for you to talk to each one of your kids separately yes yeah I do I I really try and find that one-on-one time um they are all different I cannot parent three kids the same I think that's huge to understand because I think we were all parented the same me and my sisters I was like so my so Megan my other sister was you know expected had the same expectations placed on her and let's just say academics weren't her friend (laughs) um but she killed it in track so she got praise from that but um right you know what I mean so I'm very much trying to pay attention to the individual needs of my kids I think it's really important to know where their individual heart is right um 
And how they respond to different situations. <gasps> yes. Right. Even with the twins, you know, I have twins. I grew them the same way, ate right. the same things, did the same right. things. And I have one who can walk into a crowded room and be fine. And I have another who is like panicking. So what do you do with the one that panics? I'm okay. This, I, this may seem like, well, to old school parents, it's like wussified parenting, but I don't care. I think it's good to just <laughs> any anyone that had like, hey, this is what works for me. And that's why I that's why I started the show. It's because yeah. here's what worked for me to get out of depression and bipolar. Yeah. Like this is what works for this person. Like, right. Let's just throw everything out in the world. Yeah. And if you take one thing from this person and one thing from, from this guest mm-hmm. and that works for you. Mm-hmm. Great. Like yeah. there's no there's no direct path for anybody. Absolutely. So there's no judgment here. Yeah. Oh, I, it feels like I'm in my office. Am I getting therapy? Um, yeah, no, we, I'm very tender with him. Whereas I would have been forced into go in there anyways, yeah. do it. You yeah. know? So I was the kid who would panic when the teacher would call on me. Um, he, so I get on his level. I look in his eyes. I like physically, you, you yeah. bend down. Yeah. Look directly in his eyes. And I say, are you afraid? You know, and I ask, you know, what's worrying him. Um, he's so brave and he's so strong because, you know, he's managed this for so long until one day, like a couple months ago, I get a call from the school nurse that he was crying and he couldn't stop, um, with stomach issues. And he had gone to school, um, worried about something. He thought he was going to have to go to after school program, which he calls after school prison. And (laughs) Apparently it's really chaotic and the teachers yell and he's like, he does, he doesn't like to get in trouble. Um, anyway, so he had gone to school thinking that and cause I had no other choice, right? Like mom has got to work. Right. Um, I went and I picked him up and because there was just, he was physically having symptoms of anxiety. He had to go to the restroom, like all the things. Um, so I just love on him. Yeah. You know, and then when he's out of that fear state, you know, when he feels more calm, because when, when a child or even a grown up is in that state, can't talk to him. No, there's mm-hmm. no reasoning. Yeah. The blood flow is not going to the front part of their brain, which, in, which helps with reasoning. Okay. Um, it's going to your amygdala, which is your Survive. fight or flight. Right. Yeah, okay. Exactly. Okay. So there's actually science behind this. Um, but so then we talk, you know, and we have gone, you know, um, we go through strategies that can help him if he is feeling worried. Um, mainly cognitive strategies like I am or and affirmations. Mm. I am brave. I am strong. You know, he has really found his um, thing out on the lacrosse field. That's awesome. Um, yeah, he's like the littlest one out there, but he's a he's kind of a beast. Um, so I'm so proud of him. But like we use that a lot yeah. when we talk, you know, like you're so, you know, you, you're one of the smallest kids out there, but yet look at how brave and strong you are. Right. You might have these you know, these worry thoughts in your head, but you are brave and strong. And, um, we kind of do this thing where we say not today, you know, <laughs> we're not going to let anxiety get us today and kind of, you know, talk to the anxiety. Right. Right. But do very you say much that like word? Do I say what the anxiety? anxiety? Yeah. He knows what it is. He does. Yeah. He does. I, I guess I didn't, you know, it's like, it's like that catch 22. Like, do you yeah. address it head on and yeah. you say like, this is the way it is mm-hmm. or, do you like explain it to him on a kid level yeah. and try to skirt around it mm-hmm. without using that term? You know, with him, I think because we have seen it, you know, he was the kid who would cling to my leg yeah. when we would drop off at daycare, yeah. you know, um, 
there was a teacher who was kind of militant and he would like scream every day when I would leave. He, he's very much afraid of being in trouble because yeah. he's, so he does everything not to. But if you have a teacher who just yells in general, right, that was bad. We got out of there. Right. Um, so we've seen this coming and I'm just, you know, I'm doing what comes like to my heart, I guess. Yeah. And to me, I feel like if he knows it and he can label it, yeah. because again, very much him, it's physical. Right. My stomach hurts, right. mom. My Aww. stomach hurts and, yeah. Um, but, and, and he'll have a lot of GI symptoms. Um, and I'm like, okay, well, what do you feel worried about? Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't know, and that's okay too. Sometimes kids don't know what they're worried about. Sometimes adults don't right, know what right? we're worried about. Right? Okay. I'm like, things are good. What's going on, Kristen? I just, and like, it's funny that we're talking about this because here I went into this interview thinking, okay, like your fertility and your depression, like that's mm-hmm. your story. Yeah. And now I'm like, let's let's go off over here because I mm-hmm. think this is so incredibly important mm-hmm. um it's really hard I think for adults to talk to kids about the same things that we as adults deal with yeah but it should be the easiest thing right. because here's here's the thing like anxiety is anxiety no matter how old you are pain mm-hmm. is pain grief is grief right. sadness is sadness there's a different circumstance mm-hmm. yes but mm-hmm. like the feeling is yes. fact whether you're eight or 68 right you know so if they can learn how to a identify it at eight years old mm-hmm. and you know b kind of understand it right you know it's and i said this in my very first episode with my very first guest sheldon it's like we're not fixing ourselves we're understanding exactly so once you understand okay this is how this is where my brain goes to mm-hmm. this is what happens to me physically mm-hmm. you can start to have control over those things Awareness but when you don't is, even know yeah. what's going on you feel so like out, out of control. control and you feel like i'm psycho and i'm yeah. crazy and it's yeah. like you're not, you just don't understand it yet. Exactly. And I think that's so much of what I do in my office yeah. is help women and my clients even just have awareness. Right. A lot of times, you know, so much of this comes from our thoughts and our beliefs about ourselves in the world. Right. And if you're not even aware of some of those things, because they become so ingrained mm-hmm. that they're like subconscious. Yep. And so I um, assign my clients the very first session for the next week or two to write down your thoughts when you start feeling badly. Um, because you may not even be aware of what you're thinking, right? right. you know? So, so yeah. So I, I do talk very openly with, um, Grayson and my, my other kids too. They know what, um, it can be like for him. They've seen him, which is also huge because it's teaching an individual to have compassion for someone absolutely because you never know what someone's going through and if they're having a bad day at the grocery store Mm -hmm. you know it's like you don't know what's going on in their personal life but it's so easy for us to judge them and get annoyed with them or like you're not moving fast enough like I need I'm late for a meeting right you know but when we learn that everyone's got a story everyone is going through something Mm -hmm. it allows us to have just a little bit more grace absolutely especially for strangers so to teach, you know, one of your children about a mental, and I don't call it mental illness because it's just mental health. Yeah. At that point, it's right. like physical health. We all have, we all have a physical body. Exactly. We all have I a love mind. It. I don't like the term mental illness. I know. It, it really, really, yeah. We use it. I use it too. Yeah. But it's just, it's, 
it's it's a fact it's mental health exactly and and i feel like people when they hear mental illness are like Ugh. you're like oh you're in a, in a yeah insane asylum exactly and you've been, like, right no, you don't have to get to that point just right. like you don't have to be 450 pounds to be worried mm-hmm. about your physical health exactly you know you can be a healthy person and have physical issues or physical things that you want to work on Mm -hmm. so i think this whole mental illness like yes there are very much you know that spectrum of mental illness yes yes agreed but for the most part teaching our kids that mental health Mm -hmm. it's a it's a should be a household thing that we talk about i agree you know and and just opening up that conversation to them i Mm -hmm. give you so many props i had no idea we were going to go down this path but i think that's that's amazing and and um so necessary to a teach to teach them about anxiety or whatever's happening yeah but also to be teach another person how to deal with someone who's going through that yeah even just looking out for them. I mean, yeah. I have really compassionate kids. I mean, don't get me wrong. They fight like cats and dogs, but are <laughs> more like WWE, but, um, but they're very, yeah. And, and just, and also knowing what I do, you know, um, for a living, they're like, you know, mom, did you help someone today? Or, Aww. you know, yeah, I think if we can start showing our kids, and showing it yes they right. they learn 80 percent through observation yeah um but also talking about how to treat others with kindness because yeah. we don't know what they're going through right it's so huge That's huge mm-hmm. huge huge oh my god i love this mm-hmm. love this yeah. um anything you want to add on on any of the topics that we've talked about anything that we missed oh, or want to go back to um i don't think so I mean I just my biggest goal in everything that I do and even in my personal life is just to I want people to feel seen like Mm -hmm. even just today you know I walked into Starbucks and they're like hey Kristen and doesn't that feel good yeah when somebody like remembers you and knows you and but that's what I try and do and I realize even if they spell it wrong I know that's a (laughs) right you you know without the age I'm I n Kristen I n so I totally get it um but you know I want people to feel seen by somebody and there are some people walking around that do not feel seen Mm. by anybody um why did I talk? Oh, because in Starbucks, I was like, this feels so good. And you know my order, but because it feels good to me because that's what I know I'm trying to do for other people. Yes. You know, if I see some, you know, I, I I like to talk to the bagger checking me out. Yeah, me too. You know, me too. Um, Cause they're a human being. They are. They have feelings. They're going through something too. Yeah, exactly. And it's so. We isolate ourselves enough with the phones and the technology. So when we can actually communicate in person like that, it's like, Oh my God, we're real people. Exactly. So connection is huge. And, um, and so, and I think there's enough people walking around in the world, not feeling connected. And so you may feel like it's hard, like you don't have your village, like it's hard for you to meet people, but all it takes is like looking up and smiling and say hello Mm -hmm. to someone and the impact that that can make not only on the other person, but on you, Yeah, you know, it raises dopamine in you to smile and make eye contact with someone. I don't know why I'm going on this tangent, but um, just, because, just adding in extras you know, just in case we missed anything. I'm huge on connection. Yeah. Um, and that can also be the antidote for you feeling better if you are in a totally. bad place. You know, totally. you may feel like you don't want to do anything. You may yeah. feel like you don't want to see anyone, but that's actually the key in feeling better. I always say fake it. Fake it till you make Absolutely. it. If I'm having a really bad day, mm-hmm. I go out there and I surround myself with people. And mm-hmm. I know that like I have to be 
even if I don't want to be happy, like if I do it in front of them, it almost triggers something and I'm like, I feel better. It I don't does. feel great, but I feel better. Absolutely. Like that's why I go work out in a group fitness exact. class because I don't mm-hmm. really want to every day. I know. But I feel it's, better. It's connection. Yeah. It's so true. Yeah. I was gonna liken that to yeah, if you don't always feel like working out, right? But you do but when you do, you feel better. And right. so that's huge for me too. Like, no, Kristen, just I use fitness very much as a tool to mm-hmm. help me, mm-hmm. you know, um, both mentally and physically. Yeah. You yeah, know, it's for such sure. a mental so game. I I didn't realize that you have a second Instagram handle until oh, recently. Do. So let's yeah. follow you. What's that oh, one? Okay. So I'm starting this thing. It's, it's at good vibe mom tribe. Okay. Um, I sort of grabbed it just so I, you know, I'm brainstorming for a lot of things, but Greg's like, you have to get it before it's taken. Good for you. He's in the digital media world. So he knows what he's talking about. Oh, more I than need I to talk to him. Actually. <laughs> he's a good guy. He'll, yeah, he's, he's very wise. He's very good at what so he does. So what's your goal with this new with that handle. platform, yeah. So this is more of my professional platform yeah. um, where I do talk more about maternal mental health and just mental health in general. Yeah. Um, but I... I just want people to know that we're when they're there, they're getting good vibes only and not in a way like, oh, positive is the right. best. No, right. no, no, because that's that's harmful, actually. Right. Um, but there's no judgment. It's women lifting women up, um, mm-hmm. supporting women, um, and which I'm really passionate about. You know, um, we rise by lifting others like yeah. that's huge. And um, and just. And so it's a combination of just a place where you know that even if you're not a mom, um, that you can get some real talk. I like being real. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes I can be funny (laughs) and, um, and just getting, you know, a supportive environment for women because we need more of that. I love it. Yeah. I love it. And then if anyone is looking for someone to talk to, yes. You've got your own practice. You're yes. up in Marietta. Marietta. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, okay. in Cobb County. Um, and so my website is www.kristinmize. It's K R I S T I N Mize, M I Z E dot com. Perfect. And it has, you know, access to, um, obviously my practice, but I do also have, you know, facts and information about perinatal mood disorders on there. Um, and some resources as well. If you know, you're struggling or, you know, someone who's struggling There's some resources on there. Um, and, um, a a little blog, I'm working on it. Good. I'm working. Good, 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 good. And then once we get this up, you can post this to the Yeah. I'm so excited. Well, thank you so much for being my first guest for season two. Thanks. Thank you so much. for reaching out to me and, um, you know, really supporting what I'm doing. I don't, I would have stopped at season one and been like, okay, I did. And, and the more people that I talked to, um, they're like, when is it coming back? When is it yes, coming back? So keep going. So we're back and I appreciate your support. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. All right. Yay. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Six Feet Above. I'm your host, Megan Armstrong. Subscribe so you never miss another episode and follow me on Instagram at Six Feet Above Podcast to keep the conversation going. Tune in next week for a brand new episode. This episode is a product of Audiographies, produced by Denor Sapolia, edited by Jacob Smolian, and the music was by Keenan Willis, funded by yours truly. I'll see you next time.